God, we are thankful to be here together. Um, I don't want to stop praying that prayer of thankfulness that we are uh, in person. God, I pray that as we talk about the Holy Spirit today, um, that the Holy Spirit can lead our conversation. Amen. So I want to start, I have two things I kind of want to like, not like, that I actually want to say before we start. Um, one is that I've been feeling just really inadequate to be the one to bring this message, because um, lots of reasons. One, being that I'm not like a theologian, not been to seminary, I don't have a full understanding of scriptures. Um, the second being that I am just like a straight white lady, and I've not experienced what uh, we're talking about today. I haven't experienced the full rejection of church, even if I've experienced some rejection by um, being here as a pastor and a woman, but I haven't fully experienced what we're talking about. And so it feels like not my place, but also my place too, maybe. Um, Lots of voices calling for acceptance and love. It's always a good thing. So that's my first uh, sort of aside. And then the second one is that um, for those of you here and anyone listening uh, later on the podcast, I just want to say that, um, and especially to our our siblings, our Christian siblings that identify as LBGTQ, that rejection from the church and rejection from Christians is not the same as rejection from God. And so you are loved by God. The Bible says you too were made in the image of God, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, So yeah, by me and here at Church at East, you are loved and affirmed and celebrated. So... Yeah, now we can get started. Um, a few blocks from our house, like kind of like a crossbreaker if you've been to our house, um, is an Episcopal church, and they have a labyrinth there. And the labyrinth is a really old thing for spiritual practice. It's also, you know, we walk to the dentist, and when we come back, the kids like to run around on it, right? So it's lots of, can be lots of things. But occasionally I walk over there and uh, walk the labyrinth. And so if you're not familiar I'm sure there are lots of different ways people use them, but the, one of the ideas is that as you're walking in, you're sort of like just getting everything off your mind, right? It could be prayer or just talking or just like getting it all off your mind, right? Your grocery list or whatever you're stressed about or things you need to do, you're just kind of letting go of those things as you're walking in. And, and it's not a maze because there's only one path. You know, you're just sort of circling in and doing this sort of like mundane thing. You get to the middle and there's a bench, typically, or or somewhere to sit, and then that's when you quiet your heart, quiet your soul, your mind, and kind of come to, um, depending on, you know, like your faith practice, you come to maybe a question for God or an intention for, you know, your return path. And so I guess it was actually last uh, two weeks ago now that I was walking that labyrinth near our house, and... um, was like sitting in the middle and feeling sort of the overwhelm of like emails from teachers times three kids and, um, you know, everyone needing pants and coats and my ministry here planning for Advent and an elders meeting coming up and this sermon coming up and then something I'm teaching on Tuesday. I was just like feeling all of it really heavily. And so what I kind of came to in that moment was like, okay, how do I uh, sustain this life that I've set up? So maybe there needs to be changes in the future, but right now I need to get through these things well. And so the thing that, um, so then 
you kind of, you're like, okay, I'm going to walk back out the labyrinth. And kind of as you're leaving, that's a time for like meditation or um, prayer, whatever that looks like for you, right? So you're leaving. It's like um, if you do yoga, they're like, you know, just let the thought come in and then gently pass it out, right? So you're trying to think on what you settled in the middle. And so, you know, I'm praying and I'm thinking about this, this sustaining. And I was reminded of something really beautiful. I went to like an online workshop a few weeks ago, and at the closing blessing, um, the pastor, she said, um, instead of saying the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, she said, the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. So that's what we're going to talk about today, is the Holy Spirit as sustainer, both uh, in church history, right, the long length of Christians, also in our daily lives, um, what what that can be. So... We're going to start and read a few things that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. And um, we're going to read a lot of scripture. I don't know where we landed. It's not going to be on the screens? Okay. It is not going to be on the screens. And I'm going to do my best to read slowly and to tell you where I am, so if you want to follow along. And also, I'm going to be reading from the New Revised Standard Version, which is probably maybe not what you have on your app, so I apologize, but I'll I'll do my best to... um, Yeah, to read more slowly than I know I'm talking right now. So we're going to start in John chapter 7, verse 37. So I'll give a little what's going on before I read this. Um, Jesus is speaking at the last day of this big festival called the Festival of Booths. I don't know a ton about it, um, but something that happened on the last day of this festival is that the priests would pour out water from the altars to signify um, a promise you know, from the Old Testament about at the time of restoration, rivers would flow out of the temple. So they would do this. So on the last day, this is what Jesus says kind of to that or with that. Jesus says, on the last day, well, not quite. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, which believers in him were to receive. For as yet there was no Spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So the Spirit will bring rivers of living water. Super beautiful. Okay, let's read in John 14 also. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples, um, like Last Supper, right? He's kind of giving his last... uh, I don't know, advice? Like his last teachings. Teachings, probably better. So we're going to read in John 14, starting in verse 15. I don't know if anyone's. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. So just to be clear, what are Jesus' commandments? Not the Ten Commandments, but Jesus' commandments. Anyone? That's okay. So Jesus' commandments, right? It's like love God and love your neighbor the loved ones, so not the other. So Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. 
Okay, so from Jesus' two, these just two small things that Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, what, what do we know? Like, what is he promising in the Holy Spirit? If anyone wants to answer. But I can also just tell you. <laughs> okay, so we see that we will receive, right, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's called an advocate. Anyone that, like, make y'all think anything advocate? Okay. Um, and then also Holy Spirit as teacher. So Jesus is offering the Holy Spirit, and you know, the Holy Spirit is described in so many different ways, but just in these two, um, we see Jesus as ad, or Holy Spirit's advocate, Holy Spirit as teacher, and then um, rivers of living water. Um, so I guess where we go from that is like, how do we see the, or how does the Holy Spirit work in our lives? And then, of course, specifically in our you know, conversation at hand, um, how we're becoming open and affirming. And so I think because Jesus doesn't like talk directly to, um, to, uh, to this topic, I guess, um, we can like see how the Holy Spirit works in other places. So we're going to talk about a few stories in uh, Acts and the early, the early church and how the Holy Spirit um, played a role there. Okay, we're going to jump again. Um, we're going to go to Acts 10. If y'all want to go with me there. And I'm going to tell you part of the story and then read part of the story, but this is about um, Peter and Cornelius. And it's a really... There's like parts that are kind of weird, but I think it's a really good, a really good um, thing for us to talk about in this conversation. So, does anyone know this story and want to tell a little bit of it? So I'm not talking so much. I can have no's. Okay. This is how the story goes. So there's this man named Cornelius, and he is a centurion. He's a Gentile. Uh, the Bible says that he feared God. Um, he prayed, he gave alms, so he was like a good person who was, you know, with God, knowing God. And he had a vision from God, and, uh, or a dream maybe, and in the dream it basically says, go find Peter. And so he sends some men um, to go and find Peter, and um, the day they arrive, Peter is praying, I think on the roof of his, of wherever he was, and he's, he's praying, and he also has a vision. I actually think the Bible says he goes into a trance. And he sees this uh, sheet come down, and it has four-footed creatures, and reptiles, and birds. And he hears a voice that says, get up and eat. And Peter is like, definitely not. I'm definitely not eating those things. They're unclean. We're not allowed to. I've never done it before. And so this uh, goes on a few times, and the voice says, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. Okay. And so while Peter was like, what on earth just happened, right? Working out, feeling puzzled, feeling confused, uh, the men knock on the door and, you know, Spirit says to Peter, go and let them in. So he goes downstairs or to the door and um, the, the three men tell Peter their story and he um, invites them in and gives them lodging. So uh, these men, because they are came from Cornelius, also Gentiles, right? So does anyone know why that would be? The only word I can think of is bonkers right now. Anybody know why that would be weird or, or unusual for him to invite them in? Or like, okay. So it is, uh, 
Yeah, so he invites them in. It's like it says later, it's against the law, right, for Jews and Gentiles to even mingle, much less he invites them in. They feeds them, stays at their house. Um, and so he then goes with them the next day to find Cornelius, and we'll, um, we'll pick up at verse 27 and read a little. Oops, thought I had it ready. Okay. Um, so he gets there to Cornelius' home and, he, and says, And as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. This is Peter. And he said to them, You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now may I ask why you sent for me? And um, so then Cornelius tells his dream, and uh, Peter puts it even further together, right? So in verse 34, then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. And so then the, uh, in verse 44, it says that the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. So they believe also. Uh, while Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. After this, uh, Peter, I guess in his excitement, goes back to the church in Jerusalem to tell them uh, what's happened, right? So he, um, he, when he gets there, every, or people are sort of uh, questioning him, right? Like, even Gentiles, are you sure they're allowed to be, you know, can they be part of this? Are they in, right? Like, can they be Christians too? Um, and in, in chapter 11, Peter responds and says this. And... Uh, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it had upon us in the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given, even to the Gentiles, the repentance that leads to life. So... The next few chapters of Acts, right, is like a lot of the early church uh, missions and a lot of working out the same question over and over. Like, who is in and who is out? Who gets to be part of us? Who gets to be a Christian? Who receives the Holy Spirit and who doesn't? Um, and then it kind of comes to a, I don't know what the word is. It, it comes to a point and there is something called the Council of Jerusalem. And um, this is in chapter 15. And so I think it's like, uh, let me see. So Paul and Barnabas are there, Peter's there, elders, all these people are there, and they're sent there to discuss with elders the question of circumcision, right? Like, do they have to get circumcised? Austin talked about this some last week. This is like a really wildly important question, right? It's like, do they have to be uh, circumcised to be like fully accepted by God, fully Christians in this new, um, this new way? And so... Um, 
and I'm just going to read a few, a little bit. I won't, I won't do as much because I kind of got long before. But um, this says in Acts 15.5, it says, But some believers who belonged to the set of Pharisees stood up and said, Is it necessary for them to be circumcised in order to keep the law of Moses? And the apostles and elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear. On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord, just as they will. So, over and over, it's the same thing, right? Like, who's in, who's out? And so I want to go one more place. I know we've read a lot, and it's hard to follow someone reading to you. (laughs) But I want to read in Galatians. Um, I think this is a really important piece as well. And so... I won't ask. I will just tell you what's happening in Galatians. (laughs) No one's answering me. But at the beginning of Galatians, essentially Paul is writing to the people in Galatia to counter the claims of of circumcision, right? And that like countering the claims that everyone has to follow the law of Moses. And so in Galatians 5, he finally, uh, or he says this. um, And he's kind of saying in Galatians the same thing a whole lot, right? A lot about freedom, a lot about, um, you know, that's when he says, no, no longer Jew or Greek, male or female, uh, slave or free. All of that's happening in Galatians. So in Galatians 5, starting in verse 2, it says this. Listen, I, Paul, am telling you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Once again, I testify to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the entire law. You who want to be justified by the law have cut yourselves off from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, We eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. And so, you know, in that, um, he's arguing against not just circumcision, but he's saying that, like, if, if you have to do this one thing, then you might as well do, you have to do all the other things too, right? Because that was the way to God also, like following the Jewish law. And while... I do want to say I fully recognize that this is not talking about the New Testament, right? That hasn't been written at this point. It's not talking that, you know, Paul is talking about the Old Testament. I I do think that it's worth, or he's talking about, like, us, the Torah. I do think it's worth exploring um, other things that we have decided to interpret the way, a a different way, a new way. And Austin touched on this last week, um, but I think it's worth exploring that a little again. And so um, here's like a few things from the New Testament that I would say most Christians, most churches do not, uh, would not say keep you from, well, we'll we'll talk about them and then I think you'll know what I mean. So um, in Jesus talks about divorce three different times, Um, churches now would our church, for sure, lots of other churches do not exclude on the basis of having been divorced. Um, in Ephesians, it says, slaves obey your masters. I can't imagine there's a church that's still, uh, you know, 
even teaching that or, or anything close to anything like that. Uh, gluttony is actually talked about several times, and I won't even, I mean, gluttony is just excess, right? So, like, we're all living in that. Like, if you went in Target and bought some stuff in the dollar section, right? We're, like, bringing excess into our house, and our lives are so busy, and, and we don't talk about that, right? Like, that doesn't get talked about as something that would keep you from church participation. And then uh, tons and tons of things about women and a lot about how they dress, um, right? So in First Peter and First Corinthians, it talks about women being prohibited from wearing gold jewelry, from braiding their hair, wearing expensive clothing. They should have their heads covered and faces veiled. Um, and then in First Corinthians also, you know, talking about women to be silent at church, which that's a, a, something not all churches, I wouldn't say, agree, the way some of the other ones have been interpreted differently. But um, I think it's worth noting that. Um, so I guess, I guess we come, we read all the things, and, and the question still is, like, what do we do with that? Um, what do we do with how the Holy Spirit guided Peter on a totally different topic? Okay, right? It's not the same. But um, I think it's, it's worth noting that like, Jesus also doesn't really discuss including Gentiles either. Jesus is, you know, his time was mostly ministering to Jews. And there are times that um, he heals Gentiles and includes them, but he doesn't say it. You know, he's not like teaching that, uh, that Gentiles are going to be part of this new this new thing. And so, um, but they do see that Jesus is constantly saying, like, them too, right? Like, they are invited to, they are, um, can be part of me, can come to me too, right? We see with women and children who were kind of on the outside of decision-making, and then um, tax collectors, you know, like the really terrible religious leaders are invited into life with Jesus. And you know, people that are demon-possessed and drunks and evil, just all the evil, these people are invited. But I think what makes the, the uh, stories about Gentiles and the decisions of them being included is that they were born as Gentiles, and because of that, it's not something that can be It's not a, a choice that they made. And so I think that that, for me, is a big thing that it comes down to. And so, um, yeah, so we know that Jesus doesn't speak to homosexuality, but he does speak to this. And I read this. This is a quote. It says, the one time Jesus explicitly names the kinds of folk who are headed for eternal damnation, he lists only those who did not provide food for the hungry, drink for the thirsty, did not welcome strangers, or provide clothing to the naked, did not visit prisoners. And while I don't think that we should throw out anything that Jesus didn't say. I'm not in that camp. I still think it's, it's important to see that it wasn't a big enough issue um, for Jesus to talk about it. Um, so just like with Peter and with Paul and the others in the early church, um, when there were questions of what to do, how to handle, how to be, this is when the Holy Spirit um, stepped in. And I really love the image of viewing the Holy Spirit as rivers of living water because rivers of living water right, are changing. It's, it's, uh, there's like this constant change of, of refreshing and new, right? And so I think at the time, the big questions were around gender, um, slavery, and like, you know, Jews or Gentiles. And so to that, 
Paul says, neither slave nor free, male nor female, or um, Jew nor Gentile, Jew or Gentile. And so we have our own questions now to ask. And so I think for us to, we know that we can, re, we can go to Scripture and uh, find ourselves on either side of the question of um, homosexuality and what that means for, for, for those people. And so I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself. This is something I feel just really strongly about. So I'm going to read to you some more from Galatians. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. And so I think... Let me read one more thing. At the end of Galatians 5, and I, I hope it's not lost on any of us that in the back and forth of this question that um, Paul ends Galatians 5 with the fruit of the Spirit. And he says this, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. And so I guess I want to end by saying this. And I'm not here to convince you. I don't really think that's something I can probably do. I think I feel pretty strongly that um, life experience and our own study and our own willingness to um, tap in to those rivers of living water is what allows us to learn and grow and change. Um, but for me, uh, living in the Spirit and being guided by the Spirit is opening that table up uh, to all who believe and, and all who like want to believe or sort of believe or some days believe, right? That, that Jesus says, um, everyone who calls on his name. And so I can't figure out how... Um, rejecting a person for a way they were born, um, which again was in the image of God. I can't see how keeping them from sitting next to me as pastor or teaching my children or any other ways that they uh, have been excluded, I can't see that how it fits in uh, with the fruit of the Spirit or loving your neighbor and... Um, I can't see how God would create someone in the image of God and then have his people not fully celebrate and love and accept him. Let me pray for us and we're going to sing a little bit more. God, we thank you that there is scripture and stories. We thank you that there is also uh, the Holy Spirit and a voice uh, that is you, God, that sustains us through time when new questions arise and things look different and we learn, uh, we learn about the word natural and we learn about the words uh, about our bodies and, and, and our sexuality, God. And we just pray that uh, you continue to offer those rivers of living water, God, and We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Amen.